When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We've had a slew of terrific guests. We've gone from Josh Gaddis, Adam Schefter, Jim Abbott, Ward Manuel, Jim Harbaugh over the last couple of weeks. We're going to shift our attention to the defensive side of the ball today and talk to defensive coordinator Don Brown. We'll have his conversation on In the Trenches. Let's go in the trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. Just control the things that you can control. And when they tell us on your mark, get set, go, let's make sure we're ready to go. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. And I have a great surprise. I got a surprise this weekend, and I'm going to share that with you now. We have on In the Trenches no longer one voice, no longer just a conversation between me and and the list that I just went over in the open, but Brian Bush has made his triumphant return to In the Trenches, and no, we have not had a chance to film him running out of the tunnel. We will, again, have to wait a little bit longer as we all are to uh, come out of our houses, come out of our caves and uh, see daylight, socialize, shake hands, give high fives, and see Brian Bush run out of the tunnel. But I want to welcome Brian Bush back to In the Trenches. Brian, how are you? I'm great, John. It's great to be back. Uh, Unfortunately, can't really get into exactly why I was gone for a month, but I'm guessing people can probably put it together based on a word uh, that starts with an F that uh, has been thrown around for temporary pauses in work. Uh, but fortunately, we thought this was going to be a lot longer than it actually ended up being, so very thankful to Learfield IMG College, to the University of Michigan, 
uh, for showing that you know they, they value this podcast. They value what we've been able to put out. And uh, John, it's it's been weird listening to it without any sort of hand in it. But I thought you did a heck of a job. And 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 my goal is more than anything else to prop you and your opinion up. I'm just that secondary voice. And yes, I can assure you, I would love to do the running out of the tunnel. I'd probably be a little winded uh, after this quarantine, but uh, yeah, we'll do it sometime soon for sure. Absolutely. And and I guess that leads me to my first question because we're going to bring back seven from 77. We've got our bacon fact to look forward to a lot to talk about today to catch up on, on in the trenches. But Brian, first of all, what have you been doing over the last four weeks to keep yourself busy, to stay in that prime physical bowling condition that you are in? <laughs> yes, the prime bowling condition. That is uh, fortunately very quarantine friendly to be in bowling shape. Uh, that's good news. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I mean, to be a bit vulnerable for a little a little while, it's tough. I mean, John, you and I have we're we're pretty fortunate in all this. I'm not in a situation where I'm super concerned about my financial side. Uh, my girlfriend's been able to continue to work. Health-wise, everything has been good. Uh, I have not, to my knowledge, gotten the disease. Uh, but still, there's that mental and emotional toll. If if you are highly motivated, if you are a, a go-getter, if you are somebody who works really hard, and then you're thrust into this situation... It's not easy because it's just so different from what uh, people like that are used to. And, and I'm not, you know, sitting here saying that I'm, you know, this, this, you know, highly, you know, high motor work ethic kind of guy. But I, I try to pride myself on that. And, and when you really can't do a whole lot, it's tough. So uh, it's that balance of understanding you know, your, your current circumstances aren't as bad as they can get. They're actually pretty good in the, in the grand spectrum but they're still different. And that for me has been the the biggest challenge, but, you know, kept up with friends, kept up with family members. Uh, I've actually gone through some of my old credentials and some of my old charts and, and broadcast research that I I had that I've just had in boxes for a long time uh, and, and try to find the positive in the clouds of negative because it's, it's only human. I think we all have our good days and our bad and I'm no expert, I'm no, you know, grand figure, but, you know, I, I think I, I've, in talking to people, uh, I'm, I'm going through something similar that a lot of people are, and, and I think it's okay to be vulnerable in that situation, and, you know, and I, I think you and I have, in our conversations over the last month or so, it, it, it's easy to get frustrated, it's easy to get worn down, but it's, it's also uh, very therapeutic to think about the future, to think about what's coming up, uh, and you get into it with Don Brown a little bit here. Uh, you, you think about the first time that the Michigan football team will come out of that tunnel, and that's therapeutic because it's something to look forward to. It's hope, uh, and and sure, we want more hope in the in the case of you know virus numbers going down and deaths going down and hopefully going away completely. Uh, but we have to find it in our own unique ways, and, and I think that's how guys like us tend to cope. Well, we do, and and it's always it's it's for eight weeks now that we have been dealing with, you know, not having the big 10 tournament in basketball, not having the NCAA tournament, having to deal with questions of, will there be fall sports? Won't there be fall sports? Will there be students on campus? Won't there be students on campus? And every time that you look at 
um, you know, any website, if you go to Yahoo, you go to Google, you go to any search engine and, you know, the, and you, you just hit news, what comes up in the first 10, you know, hits is completely different perspectives on what is to come or what's going to happen, different numbers and different interpretations of sometimes of even the exact same numbers. So it's been an emotional roller coaster for eight weeks and you start to get a glimmer of hope. And then all of a sudden you read something and it just seems like it kicks you right between the legs and you don't know what to do with it. But, you know, I, I am one of those guys like you, you had to somewhat described yourself that, um, I, I love what I do. I love my work. And, and thankfully, I've been able to continue that. We're happy to have you back, Brian. But I also love being in Schembechler Hall. That is my home away from home. I love seeing the players. That brings a certain energy to everybody that is in Schembechler Hall. I love being able to walk in and see Jim Palaki and Dave at the front desk and uh, walking upstairs and saying hi to Dave Abloff, who's done a great job of helping me with this and, and lining up some of those great guests that we talked about. Um, and then, you know, you, you walk down the hall and you see Aaron Bills uh, uh, in the video department and, and graphics. And then you see uh, Matt Dudek in the recruiting department, Sean McGee, and, and then Jim Harbaugh. And you see all of the coaches and, there is, it, it takes me literally 45 minutes to get to my office, if not longer, because you stop and you talk to everybody that, hey, what's going on? What's happening? How you doing? All of that stuff. And it's, it's part of the camaraderie of the family of Michigan football. And I miss my work family. My, I, I miss being at Schembechler Hall. So I cannot wait for the moment that they say it's all clear. I will be racing with Don Brown, Josh Gaddis, Jim Harbaugh, all of the coaches to see who can be the first one in Schembechler Hall. There is always a competition, and that will be one of them. Yeah, no question. I, something that was really interesting from from my perspective, looking uh, back at the postmortem from the draft, was you know these these NFL coaches and and executives and general managers saying. You know, we need a little bit more of a of a home work balance, especially in the off season. And I think what this is showing us is for those who are workaholics, you need to have a balance at home. And for those who who maybe aren't as uh, aren't as aggressive about seeking out those types of relationships, uh, I, I think this is showing you need to have that interpersonal balance where you have your alone time. And then you have your time with not just the ones closest to you, but also the ones who you work around. You want to get to know them because it is amazing what you miss when, in essence, your regular day-to-day -day livelihood is taken away. It's just completely, uh, it's been an eye-opening experience. And as we get into 7 from 77, I've talked a lot about me, uh, but John, how you doing? Well, it's been the emotional roller coaster that uh, I was just mentioning, where you wake up one day and you and you you really feel like we're making progress, we're getting closer to you know being back, and um, you know one of the be great benefits I have of being at Schembechler Hall is I get to see the day-to-day -day operations of getting ready for what was supposed to be spring ball, and then. You know, going back to my memories of last year of seeing guys, the, the team, come in and get ready to work out with Ben Herbert all summer long and the sacrifices that they are making. And you see 
a tremendous change in everybody that is working so hard to prepare to beat Wisconsin, Michigan State, and the ultimate goal, and in the number one goal, beating Ohio State, winning a Big Ten championship, getting to that college football playoff. That's what keeps me going. That's what I miss. So on those days where I feel like, hey, we're getting closer to that, I start to get really excited. And then there's always that downswing where it seems like it's, we know it will eventually come, but it seems like it's always so far away. It's always next month or next week or tomorrow or, you know, in, in two months. It just seems like you're on that treadmill. So it's been a, an emotional roller coaster, but every day um, I tell myself that this is, hey, no, we don't know when the end date for this is. We don't know when the start date for the college football season will be. We all hope that it will be exactly when it's supposed to, but we are one day closer no, in, in, in any way, shape, or form to making that happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, number two on today's 7 from 77, again, John has done yeoman's work in, in really one-man banding the podcast, but the one area of that, that really makes it difficult is for you, John, to share your thoughts. And I want to get some of yours on a few of the guests that you've had in recent weeks. Let's start with, to me, the most important line from your conversation with Ward Manuel from last week. And he said this, our student athletes are students first. And if students aren't required to come back to Ann Arbor, then it's going to be hard for me to tell our student athletes that they need to come back. And he didn't say that explicitly in his letter on mgoblue.com today, but that's, again, kind of the tone of a lot of people in college football. We can talk plenty about what plans should be in place, how people will be safe, how we can eventually let fans come back. But that line from, from Ward, that, that has to be the low watermark to, to starting this work back, isn't it? Well, it is. You got to head students back um, to have student athletes back because that is their their number one priority is being a student. They've got to be able to take classes on campus. And if you if it's not safe for students to come back, then why would we assume that it's safe for student athletes to come back? Um, and you know, it's they go hand in hand. And we've heard it from all of the Power Five commissioners. Um, you know, Jack Swarbuck, the the athletic director at Notre Dame have all said, and, and they met with Vice President Pence, and what came out of that, and it's and it's held true, is that until campuses open up to students, we're not going to have the opportunity to get to student-athletes and, and to get to sports. So that's the number one goal. And we're hearing really positive things of whether it's Michigan or it's other universities taking steps to plan to have students back. Now, it and we heard this from Mark Emmert. And so leadership is always from the top down. Mark Emmert is the, uh, the the one in charge of the NCAA. Then you've got your Power Five commissioners. You've got your athletic directors. You've got your coaches. It goes right on down the list. And what we have heard from everybody kind of echoes what we heard from Mark Emmert is, and he said, you know, it's, we don't, you've got to get back to having students on campus. Now, it doesn't have to be, the full normal model. So if, you know, you get 45,000 students at the University of Michigan, you may not have all 45,000 back and it may not be a full model, but you have to have campus opened up in one way, shape or form to make student athletes, you know, to make it safe for student athletes to be back. So we're hearing it from the top down. 
Um, and this is going to be something that we're going to watch throughout the country as we as we watch different states open up at different times. What will happen to the the college football schedule? You know, in terms of when are student athletes actually going to be allowed back to start training? How long do they need? When will practice start? When will games start? What does the schedule look like? All of those things don't have to be decided yet. That's the benefit we have is we you know we we still have time to to make those plans and, and that's what I heard from Ward Manuel as well is you know he's putting together he he had mentioned three different budgets for what the athletic department is facing and every athletic department across America every university across America across the world is looking at the same obstacles and when the obstacles when you look at it and, and everybody says well what does it mean to, to open up campus and what are the risks involved? The risk is in the state of Michigan, you may have things under control in the state of California, Florida, Washington, you know, all the way across the country, there may be different states that have it under control. But when you think about opening up a university, and this is very true for the University of Michigan, you're going to be welcoming in students from all 50 states. You're going to be welcoming in students that are coming from around the world. And that is where you put yourself at risk. When they come back, what are they bringing with them? What are they doing? How do we welcome them back to make sure that their health and sa- their, their safety and health is, is of utmost priority and that we continue, once everybody is back, that we monitor what's going on. So there's a lot of obstacles, but I, I do have the faith in Michigan Medicine that they are working around the clock to make this a possibility, to take all the risks, um, um, as many as they can, um, out of the environment and you know we'll see what happens in the coming months yeah it's a great point about the diversity at the university of michigan and, and let's face it at a lot of institutions throughout the country it was one of the big reasons why this conversation got momentum around spring breaks because students normally go to so many different places a lot of times out of the country uh, and that's where it really got going was at the time where these universities were having spring break uh, number three Looking at it from the sports vantage point, there are uh, some sports slowly starting to come back in the U.S. The UFC, of course, put out a card this past weekend. NASCAR returns this weekend. Baseball is in negotiations between the owners and the players' union to try to figure out something potentially as early as the beginning stages of July. So when you consider football has some time, What are you going to be watching from the UFC, NASCAR, Major League Baseball, of things that you think will be important for football to take into account as it builds its return strategy? Well, it's going to all revolve around protocols. And I think that's going to be the the, the word that we're going to hear a lot is when NASCAR gets together this weekend and most of their races will be within like 100 miles of Richmond, and it's going to be a drive-to race, drive home. Um, You know, how do they go about keeping everybody, you know, socially distanced? How do they keep people apart? And there are some inherent, you know, factors in NASCAR, in in UFC, and in a lot of these, you know, different sports, because UFC, you're not talking about, a large number of people that you have to monitor their health, you know, and, and in NASCAR, you know, there's only one driver per car and you can keep the team separated. Um, and, and so there's ways kind of built into the sport to make that a possibility. 
you know, very similar with baseball. There's not a lot of contact in baseball, but yes, there is, you know, close proximity at times, but it's how they monitor the health of the players, how they test, how they go about, uh, you know, quarantining those that may end up testing positive and, and then, you know, tracing who they may have come in contact with testing them and uh, making sure that there's not a, a second wave that starts with professional sports, because if there's anything that will set things back, um, you know, quicker is, is to have a setback in one of these sports that's going. So everybody's going to be watching the protocols. They're going to be watching and, and seeing what's going on. But I think it's great that we are taking steps to in the right direction. Um, and NASCAR has been very open. I do a, a, a Big Ten Today show with Pete Bistoni, who works on NASCAR radio. And, and he's mentioned a number of times that, NASCAR, everything is written in pencil in regards to what they're doing. Week two of NASCAR may look vastly different from week one, and they will learn, and I think that's where we have to take from from these sports that are starting up is what are they learning in week one in terms of, of putting protocol in place to keep participants safe. Um, they're not going to have any spectators. They didn't have any at UFC. They're not going to have any at NASCAR. But how do you keep the participants safe? And then try and put that on a bigger scale when you're talking about the NFL, when you're talking about Major League Baseball, when you're talking about college football. You, obviously, the scale becomes much bigger. So um, that's really what I'm going to be looking at is, you know, how does week one go and what changes, what modifications do they make to the protocol heading into week two? Number four on today's seven from 77, another important topic that was discussed in recent weeks, Jim Harbaugh's open letter to the football community. His goal was to start a conversation about player empowerment, about having a seat at the table for players when it comes to NFL options, both in terms of leaving early and in terms of having the ability to come back if the draft doesn't go as well as they expect. It's starting to make its rounds nationally. For example, North Carolina head coach Mac Brown said earlier this week he's open to a lot of what Coach Harbaugh said. So what was your main takeaway, not just from the letter, but also your conversation with Jim and Jack Harbaugh last week? Well, it was just that, to start a discussion of, you know, and, and advocating for the rights of the student-athletes. Um, you know, and, and whether it's, there, there's kind of two parts um, where one is, you know, there's some NFL and NFLPA rules that are collectively bargained in regards to drafting players, you know, at a certain age or a certain number of years removed from high school. Right now it's three. Um, and, and that's going to take a, a lot more discussion, a lot more work involved. But in regards to those redshirt sophomores, in regards to, you know, juniors and those that leave early with college eligibility left, the discussion revolves around should we allow them if they go undrafted? Because there's always, and, and it, the percentage grows every year in terms of how many are entering the draft that are underclassmen and how many go undrafted. How, you know, how do we work and how do we get the discussion to welcome those players back to your team? And, you know, how do you find room uh, in terms of scholarship? And a lot of those things Coach talked about in his letter in regards to the 25 hard cap, the, you know, regarding the 85 scholarships you're allowed to have. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of details to be worked out. But when you hear, you know, uh, I, and I think it was important for, you know, Mac Brown to come out and support it, to hear from another Power 5 coach, but to have Jim Harbaugh make this, this letter and make this basically a statement advocating for the rights of the student athletes where, and he even says this in, in the, in the interview, 
you know, the NFL has made rules to where they get their cake and eat it too. The NCAA and colleges have rules where, you know, it benefits them. Where are the rights of the student athletes? And that's what Jim Harbaugh is advocating for. And, and I will make this last point. All of what he wrote in that letter is to benefit the student athlete. It will make, you know, evaluating and doing things on the NFL level a little bit more challenging. It will also make the the job of Jim Harbaugh of putting together a roster, recruiting, and you know putting a, a a talented team out there much more difficult because of the key word that we're we're hearing is roster management. That is going to be a big issue. But he's okay with making his job harder if it's a benefit to the student athlete. I've been a big proponent of what Coach Harbaugh has said in terms of letting these young men come back to college if they have eligibility and they don't get drafted. I mean, think about it in in terms of real life. If you go in for a job interview and maybe they, they like you, but don't love you, they still offer you the job and you have the opportunity to, to accept or reject it. And that's always been a unique part about the draft. Uh, who knows how many players would actually come back to school. So my question to you is, John, you mentioned the roster management and how things will change. But look at the Michigan football team from this year. You know, the guys who were drafted uh, for Michigan were all outside of that top or inside of that top 224 that coach mentions. So they would all be heading to the NFL. Shea Patterson didn't have any eligibility. Lavert Hill didn't have any eligibility. Sean McCune didn't have any eligibility. So it would not have affected Michigan's roster much at all. Do you think, how much do you think this would affect everything? I don't know that it would affect it a lot, but you got to look, not necessarily how it would affect the roster, but look at the benefit. And it's all a matter of perspective. If there is one kid that gets to come back and completes his degree, First of all, that is a huge win. Second of all, if he completes his degree because he has the opportunity to come back, be on scholarship, go back to class and graduate, but also has a chance to compete for his team, maybe improve upon what he did, and then enter the draft again next year, now maybe he is drafted. So now he has his degree, plus he gets an opportunity to get drafted and play for an NFL team. I, I think it's a win-win, and it makes it difficult, like you said, for college coaches but I think most of them and, and the good ones um, that care about their, the kids that they're recruiting and asking them to come play for them and you know get a degree from their school, most of them would be willing to put up with some headaches in regards to how do we put this roster together? What are we doing? How do we do it? If, if, if you have a, a larger percentage of players that actually leave with a degree. And, and the other you know caveat to that is if you are – um, and he talks about this. If you were, say, you, you came to Michigan and you played for two years, you went to the draft. You played for three years, as the rule states right now, and you went to the draft and you got drafted. But to have the ability, because the the average career is only three and a half years. After that, you're going to have to be a professional in something else. And when you then you know leave and, and you're done with your playing career, to have the ability to come back and complete your degree and the motivation to do that will be different at that time than it is as a junior in college when you've got great dreams of playing in the NFL, I think that is a win as well. Wholeheartedly agree. All right, number six on today's seven from 77. 
beyond Ward Manuel, beyond the Harbaugh's, you've had some great guests. Uh, give me some of your favorite, uh, whether it's a quote or just a guest that you've had over the last month. For me, I I really enjoyed, I always like listening to Ben Bredesen. You and, and, and him have such a great rapport, which is shocking for you and an offensive lineman. Truly just unfathomable. Uh, Jim Abbott was great. I thought your conversation with Doug Karsh, I was worried for my job security there for a bit. Uh, but what were, what were some of your favorite moments other than Ward and, and then the Harbaugh's? Well, I've got two. Um, one of them was when I was talking to Michael Dana and, and he described the moment that he got drafted and the fact that his mom wrapped her arms around his neck and pulled one way. His dad wrapped his arms around his neck and pulled another way. And he felt like he was going to get choked out. When you watch the draft, especially the way it happened this year, those are the moments when you get a chance to see the excitement of the family and the, and, and the outpouring of support that they have for their son and the sacrifices that their son has made, that they have made as a family to get their son and allow him to play major college sports, to be drafted in the NFL, that's a huge moment. And I loved hearing him describe that. You know, as a kid that played at Central Michigan, came here as a grad transfer, uh, and then, you know, obviously getting drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you know, defending Super Bowl champs, that's just, it's a great opportunity. And and there anybody that's a parent understands that all that's all you want for your kids is to give them a better opportunity and for them to create that opportunity to themselves and to have that opportunity. I thought that was a great moment. And then just about every moment that I had with Jim Abbott, um, I, I have watched his career, um, admired him for a number of years and, and, you know, we, we travel in a lot of the same circles, but our, our, our travels have never, uh, allowed us to cross paths. And so to get a chance to talk to him, hear his story. And then when he was describing the no hitter that he threw for the New York Yankees and the fact that just wearing that uniform and being in Yankee stadium, that it's just different, right? And it's and it, it, a lot of us who have worn the maze of blue run out of the tunnel. You understand, especially when you go to the NFL, that there was something very special about that moment, about being a Michigan Wolverine, wearing the winged helmet and and putting your stamp on the great history and tradition that is Michigan football. That is unique and that is special. And to hear him talk about that, uh, you know, that night wearing the pinstripes and throwing the no hitter and and then walking around and having taxi cabs honk at him and people shouting from across the street and, you know, being the king of New York, I, I just thought that was a great moment as well. No, that's really cool. And one more thing to draw the comparison uh, between Michael Dana and what we were talking about with with Coach Harbaugh's letter you think about how this could have transpired differently for him if there weren't some of these player empowerment opportunities in front of them as there are now. And that's the grad transfer, no sit out, an opportunity to further uh, your education while also potentially uh, bolstering the competition you go up against. Say he had another year of tape at Central Michigan and say he had his pro day canceled because of the coronavirus these teams had to analyze tape based on what they saw they had to analyze players based on just what happened during the course of the football season and past football seasons if if he has another year against mac competition with all due respect 
maybe he doesn't get drafted. Those those pro days are so important for the guys who aren't the jump off the page on the radar prospects. He might not have been drafted without that opportunity. And lo and behold, he's Michigan's what fifth best draftee in a class of ten. Yeah, and and the opportunity that he has moving forward now as a fifth round pick is, you know, you're, you're going to get an opportunity. You're going to get a lot of looks. And and if you're a draft pick, you're going to get more looks than the undrafted guy that signs as a free agent. It's just the way it is because some GM, um, some coach stuck their neck out and said, I want to pick this guy. We spent a draft pick on him. You're going to get more opportunities. Now, you know, as you go up the list, Cesar Ruiz, who was our only first-round pick, is going to get uh, you know uh, more opportunities than sure. Josh Uche, who's in second-round pick, or Ben Bredesen at fourth, and, and it goes right on down the list. But to have that opportunity to go to a school like Michigan – Put something on tape where where you know NFL GMs and coaches can look, and then there's a known quantity, right? This is Big Ten football. When you watch a player play on a Big Ten level, you get a better perspective of how they may translate to the NFL than you do if you're looking at Mac film. And I don't mean anything about you know Mac film other than the fact that there's not a known quantity of the competition that you're going against. That's the difference between Big Ten football, MAC football, uh, and you can go across the difference between Power Five conferences and Group of Five conferences. It's just a fact of the world. Yeah, it's based on projection, and you have to project less when you're going up against better competition. It's just a real. It doesn't mean that you can't be great out of that. We've seen some great players out of leagues like the MAC or the Sun Belt or whatever, but it's just a reality. Uh, lastly, on today's 7 from 77, obviously a lot of college football news has come out, uh, whether it's discussion about the coming year, recruiting, anything along those lines. So what are some things that have piqued your interest nationally outside of U of M football? I think it's it's going to be looking at how um, athletic departments schedule in the future. If there's one thing that I think is is apparent is that we have become very dependent on being able to play. Michigan was going to play Washington this year. Ohio State, I think, was going out to Oregon. Um, you know, it's it's their national programs, and that's great. Except when you run into an issue like this, and it's it's not just the the time that it takes to travel out there; it's the expense that it takes to travel out there. There's just a lot of factors involved. So I think when you hear some athletic directors talk, and you hear, uh, you know, the the commissioners of Power Five conferences that if we only have the opportunity to play league games this year, then what does that mean? Michigan is positioned extremely well because we're in the Big Ten, one of the best conferences in the country. Um, and you know, for those that are that are not in in a Power Five conference, or they're not, they don't have the ability to step outside their conference and play. Um, I think that's a big issue. So I think moving forward, you're going to to see more regional um, matchups, and hopefully that means more Michigan-Notre Dame. Uh, maybe that means more of, of, of Michigan and a lot of more regionally local um, teams where instead of hopping on a plane, you hop on a bus, you go to South Bend, you know, and, and then you hop on that bus and you come home. I think there's a lot that's kind of piqued my interest and where it it goes to then is what does that mean for the college football playoffs? If you're not seeing Pac-12 teams play against ACC teams or you're not seeing Big Ten teams play against uh, Big 12 teams, now how do you, how do you, um, you know, ascertain 
who the top four teams are. I think we're all of the mindset that eventually we're going to see an expansion of the college football playoffs, and this may be uh, the domino that starts more of that conversation where, hey, if if you're not going to have interconference play between the two con- between the five conferences, then you know it's ho- going to be hard to find common opponents uh, between those conferences, and we're going to have to expand to include all Power Five, maybe a, a representative from the Group of Five, and then maybe two more, uh, you know, at large bids. I would love to see it get to eight, but again, this is the domino effect of going down a certain rabbit hole, which I love to do. Uh, but it's 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 where we're going in the future. Wholeheartedly agree. And yeah, if there's more regional scheduling, I think you have to provide these teams with an opportunity to know what the criteria are. And one of the criteria should be power five conference champion in, I think that's an easy extension of this. Uh, John, did you know most bacon bits sold in stores are vegetarian? What? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But, and that just goes to show you, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. And so there is nothing wrong with making your own bacon bits. They last a long time in the fridge. Everything is better fresh anyway. So you make your bacon, you chop it up into bits, you put it on that green stuff, put as much dressing on as you need, and go ahead and munch away. You know what, though? I'm glad that vegetarians do have an opportunity to at least somewhat kind of a little bit experience the taste of bacon. It's not the same, but hey, you know what? It's like those Beyond Burgers. I've had them... I don't think they're as good, but they're at least, you know, on the same sort of radar, kind of. I'd have to lose a bad bet to, to have a Beyond Burger. <laughs> if I'm going to eat meat, if I'm going to eat something that looks like meat, I want to know it's meat and not something that was genetically made in some lab to give me the taste of meat and give me some of the nutritional benefits of meat. I want to actually eat meat. No, that's fair. That's fair. And you know what Don Brown wants to do? He wants to coach football. He does. And this is, you know, and I talked to Don before we we recorded and and we talked about the emotional roller coaster and you can hear the passion in his voice that he has for his guys. Uh, And right now he's not able to, um, you know, actually, you know, lay hands on them and get them in the right gap and and show them those things in person. But he's going to take every opportunity he has to make sure that they go through every minute detail so that when they do get a chance to come back and be on campus and be on the field, the mental side of it is taken care of. Now it's the execution side. Can't wait for you all to listen to the conversation that I had with Don Brown. He's next. Welcome back to In the Trenches. Today, we are joined by the defensive coordinator, Don Brown. Coach Brown, first of all, how you doing? Are you are you and your lovely bride safe, healthy? How's your family doing? Uh, everybody's good. Everybody's safe and healthy. And uh, just wondering when we're going to go back and play this great game of, of college football. Is that what keeps you going right now? Because the thought of whenever it happens of seeing the Michigan team run out of the tunnel, of playing this great game of football, is that part of what keeps you going right now? Yeah, it sure does. And, uh, you know, the one thing I've learned in this process is uh, don't take coaching for granted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Work hard every day. Try to, you know, uh, 
be great role model for your players. Have fun with the guys. And uh, just realize that, uh, you know, coaching football is a gift. It's not a right. And, uh, you know, that's what's important. Yeah, I think there's there's a huge emphasis now on the privilege of of what we get to do. I'm obviously privileged to be able to do what I do and talk to you guys, be around the team, privileged to uh, uh, have played this great game. And I think our – have you seen that from some of your players when you talk to them on this video conference that they – maybe some of their perspective has changed and you might see a different, some different student athletes out there this year in terms of just shifting to the privilege of actually playing the game of football for Michigan. Yeah, I, I think without a doubt. One of the other things that I noticed is um, when we're running our uh, virtual meetings, guys are never late, very attentive. Uh, I don't think I've had one uh, one discipline issue through the entire seven weeks and. Uh, you know, they, you can tell uh, the old love of football is there. And, uh, you know, they're, they're anxious to learn. The number one question that I do get, though, is, Coach, when are we coming back? When are we coming back to play? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I mean, what's for you when, when a player asks you that? And, and I, the standard answer right now is, I don't know. Is that yes. what you tell the players? Yes. And I tell them uh, – the only other thing I tell them, and I think it's, it's, it's really important, is you've got to control the things that you can control, and that take care of your grades, which our guys have done, um, do the very best they can to find a, 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 some options to maintain their conditioning, uh, do a great job of the mental process, because now's the time we can really attack the mental uh, part of the game, the scheme, the concept. And, and those kinds of scenarios and, uh, you know, just control the things that you can control. And when they tell us on your mark, get set, go, let's make sure we're ready to go. How have you made the adjustment from basically coaching over or implementing your defense over the span of 15 spring practices to now we're in week eight of, you know, not being able to be at Schembechler Hall, players spread around the country. How have you adjusted the presentation of your defense to your players? Um, you know, we've reduced it to eight installs, John. And, uh, you know, obviously we take them through the installs. But the one thing that I've learned here is, uh, you know, when I tell the coaches on defense, uh, you know, don't neglect the teachable moments. So if you're in a, into a concept and, for example, you, you're working on a run concept and, and guys are struggling, well, instead of feeling that, that, that hey, I, I've got to move on, I've got to get them all this material, take the teachable moment. You know, make sure that you, you give, you know, due time to the, to the whatever concept that you're, that you're working with so that the players have a complete understanding you know, if you're looking at it negatively, you can't see them in person. You're fighting the virtual world. But if you look at it positively, you don't have any time constraints. You've got plenty of time to install, review, and teach your guys, you know, so when they hit the ground running, whenever that is, uh, you know, we'll be ready to go. And I, and I also think another feature for us 
that, um, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly telling our guys is, you know, we've been in this system for four years and obviously we're tweaking it every year to a certain degree, but at least in a lot of the commonalities, our guys really know it. And, uh, more importantly, our upperclassmen know it like the back of their hand. So they're able to, you know, work with the young guys and teach them, uh, you know, the concepts because obviously the best leadership comes from within. I've always said that. And, and looking at your defense, looking at the different position groups, defense, you know, for the defensive line, you've got guys like Quiddy Pay, Carlo Kemp, um, to be able to talk to some of those young guys at the linebacker position. You've got Josh Ross, who's going to be back, um, and a guy that can help, uh, you know, so many different, you know, in so many different aspects. How, how much do you actually lean on those guys to have conversations with the young players to bring them along? Well, the nice thing is you don't have to lean on them, John. Mm-hmm. Those guys, that's happening on a on a day to day, week to week basis. Uh, you know, you mentioned Quiddy, you mentioned Carlo. Uh, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is another guy that comes to mind up front. Uh, you know, we have Josh Ross, um, but we also have a veteran in Cam McGrone now, mm-hmm. who uh, who knows the concepts as well. Uh, so that's a big help. Um, and then on the back end, Ambry Thomas, uh, you know, who's a, just such a, a solid leader, Brad Hawkins, you know, Daxton Hill, a year older, and Vincent Gray, a year older. I mean, we feel like we can hit the ground running as as long as our conditioning allows us to. And in, in regards to the conditioning, because we've heard – um, you know, from gosh, every every head coach around America, in terms of how how long they feel they need to get their players ready, and you and I have both been around the game long enough to remember days where you know you would have a conditioning uh, test when you came back for the first day of training camp, and then it was training camp and playing games. Um, how much do you think? You you would like to have your guys, whether it's a an abbreviated summer conditioning before you get to training camp. So all total, how much do you think you need to prepare your guys for the the football season? Well, ideally, you know, it would be nice if we could get get, get back at like in the middle of by the middle of June, so you'd have six weeks where the guys focused on conditioning, training, those kinds of things. So that they can be in, you know, quality shape going into the preseason period, and uh, really let Ben Herbert and his staff sink his teeth into them, you know. So ideally, I would, if you're asking me, I would say, you know, six weeks would be, uh, be I'd be pretty pleased with that. Um, however, like you said, John, um, I can remember, you know, when I was in one AA in Division Three and. The whole thing. I mean, you had three weeks to get the guys ready, and then uh, it's time to go play football. So, I mean, I think, you know, you just have to be smart on how we uh, handle the players in terms of their uh, in terms of their time on task and, uh, you know, give them a chance so you don't have a lot of those soft tissue injuries 
and uh, you know let the professionals take care of those guys and get them right so we can uh, we can have a healthy football team come the come the opener. And I know the the strength and conditioning part is is obviously Ben Herbert's um, you know area of purview, but there there's a lot of limitations in what they can send, what they can do, how much they can monitor, what they can't do. What's the sense from you in regards to where your team, where your defense is physically, or can you even get a sense of that? Well, here's the way I look at it. No matter what they're doing, it's not going to be as optimal as it is when Ben's overseeing them with the, with the, with the strength staff. So you've got to start from that standpoint that, you know, obviously it's going to take, you know, uh, you know, some time to get the guys up and running at a high, at an elite level. And that's what you're searching for is to get them to the elite level. So then, you know, you, you can uh, go ahead and get them ready to play football games. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think you can really say because each guy's situation is different. One young man may have a weight set downstairs and, you know, have a, a lot of uh, equipment that he can utilize. Another young man may have none. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think Ben did a good job of, you know, utilizing backpacks and throwing rocks in the backpacks and, you know, giving the guys some creative ways to condition. But the reality is, you know, just be prepared that you're going to have to take them from point A or point B or point C back to the elite level so that you can uh, function at a high level. Now, in regards to your defense, and we already talked about some of the leaders that you have on the defense, you've also got some young guys with a lot of potential. Is when you look at this season, if if we you know, and we will, there's no question about it. We're going to have a limited off season program, if any at all. Training camp is is going to be whatever it is, and then you you get a chance to play some games. Can you see a benefit in where your defense is in terms of experience, but I think more importantly, depth? If you don't have a chance to get them to that elite level of conditioning. How important will it be to to work that depth chart and, and be able to rotate those guys in and out in in those early part of the season? It's an absolute must, and uh, you're hitting on a you know a, a huge point right there, and that's something you know obviously that that we paid we were able to pay attention to to some degree last fall, where we had some surplus of talent. For example, the Fleet Hudson. Josh Uche, you know, and trying to keep Uche fresh on on some of those big money pass downs that he was so, uh, you know, so elite at. And, uh, you know, so where you have those areas, but I I see it developing. I see the Christopher Hinton. I see the Donovan Jeter. uh, I see the David Ajabo jumping in as as a pass rusher. Taylor Upshaw, you know, a lot of these guys are outstanding, outstanding athletes, and uh, you know we just got to make sure that we have them uh, uh, ready to compete at a high level, and especially mentally for those young guys, so we we can uh, you know obviously stay uh, stay efficient and minimize uh, mistakes. And and I think you know being guys that understand the game of football and and watching you 
rotating guys in and out up front has always been a big part of your defense, keeping them fresh so that they can either defend the run or get after the pass or, or do whatever it is that you're asking them to do. When you, when you think about those four guys that you just talked about, Chris Hinton, Donovan Jeter, Ojabo, Upshaw, what have you seen from some of those guys that make you believe that they're, they, even before the quarantine, that they can be big-time contributors this year? Well, you know, we only, you know, I watched them a lot during, uh, you know, uh, from afar during the winter, winter workout. And that we were able to put our hands on them, you know, uh, for that one uh, winter workout. And uh, it's, it's funny how you, you say, well, it's only one workout. But you can tell when a guy makes a jump. Mm-hmm. You just look at his body language, the way he carries himself. You know, he's not looking all around uh, with that nervous energy. He's much more focused and confident. And I, 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 you know, that's what you're searching for out of the young guys because you know they're coming of age. And, uh, you know, you can see that, you know, definitely on the horizon for several of our guys in that area. Um, when you look at the guys that were just drafted, and you mentioned a couple of them, Josh Uche, Kalik Hudson. Josh went uh, in the second round uh, to New England. Um, you know, your thoughts on the draft, and I'll just give you the list. I know you know it, but I'm for our listeners, Josh Uche went to New England in the second round. Kalik Hudson went to uh, my former team, the Washington Redskins, in the fourth. In the fifth, it was Michael Dana to Kansas City. And then in the sixth, we had two picks, Josh Metellus, Jordan Glasgow, both going to Minnesota and Indy, Indianapolis, respectively. But what was your initial thoughts on the draft and seeing some of your guys go? Well, um, like with Josh Uche, uh, he and I have a long history. Um, uh, obviously, recruited him when I was at Boston College. And then, uh, you know, obviously made the flip here. You know, the interesting thing with Josh is he's the 60th player taken in the NFL draft, and he was the 707th rated player coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you, you know, uh, that guy certainly uh, maximized his opportunities and his ability and uh, just signed for $1.5 million and a $5.9 million contract with uh, – you know, with the Patriots. So, uh, obviously, uh, you know, he certainly maximized his abilities, went from uh, 212, 213 pounds to 245. Um, selfishly, I tried to get him to come back because mm-hmm. I thought he would be like Josh Moore from Kentucky and be a first rounder, uh, you know, just being, you know, continuing to uh, be more veteran as an outside linebacker. But, uh, you know, obviously you can't argue when he's in the, in the second round for sure. Um, Mike Dana just really happy for him. And Mike had no opportunity because the pro day didn't help him mm-hmm. because of uh, the cancellation, because of the virus. Um, he did not have the opportunity to go to the combine. So basically uh, the Chiefs were looking at film of him this past year and uh, communication with coaches. And, uh, you know, I think they got a outstanding young man that has the ability, I believe, to maybe be an up-and-down type of player. So, uh, you know, that's a, a pretty good scenario. Cleek Hudson was our leading tackler. 
He now holds the national record for TFLs in a game um, as a, grad, a graduate from Michigan. Uh, you know, obviously had a, had a very good senior year and, uh, you know, certainly maximized, I believe, his potential uh, as well. Uh, Josh Metellus had a very solid senior year. He's one of the brightest secondary guys I've been around. Very happy for him. And Jordan Glasgow may be one of the more interesting stories. You know, we moved him from safety to linebacker to try to make our linebacker move faster. And I think we, uh, I think we did that. And I think uh, we benefited from his uh, effort. And he's probably, you know, his coach was kind of joking about it. You know, he's one of those guys that was in watching film every single day. You know, coach, take me through my plays. And, uh, we, you know, LaVert Hill didn't get drafted, but, you know, he lasted about 10 minutes after the draft and went mm-hmm. to the Super Bowl champions. So, obviously, we're happy for LaVert because uh, he'll get his opportunity. And without question, he'll make the most of it. And, and I'd like to ask you a little bit more about two of those guys. And one of them you just talked about, Jordan Glasgow and Kalik Hudson. Um, very unique skill sets. In you know, Jordan Glasgow was a safety. He played linebacker. Uh, Kalik Hudson played that Viper position for you, which is a little bit un- unique in his skill set. How do you see the translation from what they did at college to what they'll be expected or where they fit in, a, in an NFL defense? Well, I think Kalik, I think the, the Redskins will use him very similarly. He'll be an outside linebacker with coverage skills on tight end. He'll be an edge rusher. Uh, he's an unbelievable, unbelievable special teams player. Mm-hmm. Um, punt block, uh, getting his hands on the ball, you know, just covering kicks. I mean, the guy is an unbelievable special teams player. And that, as you know, John, That'll get you 10 years in the NFL as long as you continue to, oh, yeah. you know, be very meticulous on your task and play with great emotion and energy. You know, that'll be a positive, positive scenario for him for sure. So uh, I see him used in a very similar way, um, you know, uh, as, a, as a cover guy. You know, this is an unbelievable statistic. They threw to him 11 times last year, 11. They completed 7 of 11 for just over 100 yards. Now, think of all the games that he covered tight end over the span of 13 games. And, you know, that just kind of goes to show you, you know, that he, he, he was a very good cover guy and uh, great edge rusher. He actually changed the way we coached the zone read because he had that innate ability to get into the backfield, shimmy down, and either play the zone or play the quarterback together. So that was, uh, and we basically have kind of gone to that mode of thinking uh, on our backfield penetrators because of his unique skill set. Um, so, you know, with him, that's, that's kind of the, the approach there. Uh, did you mention somebody else? Is there somebody I'm missing? Yeah, Jordan Glasgow. Oh, well, he was in my room every, you know, obviously he's an inside linebacker. And we made the decision after the spring where he was a backup tight end. Uh, I mean, a backup viper to move him to linebacker to make us faster up front. And he did that. 
I mean, uh, he's an excellent uh, cover guy of the back. Uh, he could run on the perimeter, and he was smart as a whip. You never had to worry about, you know, is he going to be in the right position because he was always in the right position. He's another guy that's a tremendous special teams guy and, again, has the opportunity maybe to have, you know, that 10-year run due to his special teams performance alone. But I think he's, a, you know, obviously ended up as a Butkus semifinalist, mm-hmm. um, as the outstanding, one of the outstanding linebackers in the country. And uh, that, coupled uh, with his makeup, he was one of the most unbelievable young men I've ever had the opportunity to be around. Well, I appreciate your time, Coach. And, and before we let you go, uh, we're obviously excited about the, the prospects of, of those five guys, along with Lavert Hill, who was, uh, as you mentioned, undrafted but did sign with Kansas City within a matter of seconds after the draft was over. Uh, we're excited about their future. Um, but the, the, the near future for us, what is the one thing that when, hey, the stay-at-home is lifted, the quarantine is is at least modified so that we can get out of our houses, what's the first thing Don Brown's going to do? Well, first thing I'm going to do is go back to my office and watch a million hours of tape because I'm so much more comfortable there than, than in my spare bedroom at home. <laughs> so uh, that's what I'm going to do. And... Uh, and that, and every player that I see, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a hug as long as they let me, because uh, you don't realize how much you miss the guys that you work with. And and again, uh, I I think we've uh, got a very nice defensive staff, uh, smart, articulate, know the game of football, but more importantly, the men of character. So, you know, I'm just looking anxious to get around our guys and and. Uh, and get going uh, on on the on the aspects of of attacking football games. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. I will. Uh, I'll be in that line, uh, waiting for my hug as well, because I can't wait to see <laughs> you uh, and and everybody else back at Schembechler Hall. That is, and you nailed it. It's I I am so much more comfortable, uh, obviously at home. But being at our second home, which is what we love to do, and that's be around Michigan football, be around the guys, be around the coaches. It's just uh, it's that family atmosphere that we're missing right now. But thank you for your time today, and uh, uh, best of luck with uh, uh, getting these guys you know, right and ready. John, you're a great ambassador for Michigan football. Appreciate everything you do, and have a great day. Thanks, Coach. You too. Well, I want to thank Don Brown for the time that that he shared with us to let us know how he's going through this, what he's doing to get through this, and how he's preparing his guys. I can't wait to see. And and, and I think he made a key point, and one I'd like to reiterate in the fact that teams that have really good depth – if we have a limited off-season program, we may have a limited training camp. Those teams that have really good depth, and he has developed that. He talked about it uh, in regards to you know up front. You've got Quiddy Pay, Carlo Kemp, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. You've got Chris Hinton, Donovan Jeter, David Ojabo, Taylor Upshaw. When you can rotate those guys in and out, the physical side 
is not going to, you know, guys getting tired, guys possibly getting hurt because they're tired or in bad position, you start to eliminate some of that because you can rotate other guys in, keep them fresh. Uh, you know, in, in Cam McGrone at, at the linebacker, Josh Ross, uh, on the defensive uh, backfield side of things, Ambry Thomas, Brad Hawkins, Vincent Gray, Dax Hill in his second year. I think this is, you know, this is – if you can look at a positive coming out of this, Michigan has positioned themselves defensively in a position to have really good depth and come out of this with a very, very good defense. But excited to see Don Brown, excited to give him that big old bear hug that I promised him. Uh, and, you know, as we continue through this, stay tuned here. Reach out to me on Twitter at John Jansen77. Send us your, you know, would you rathers. We didn't get to that today. We got a little long winded, but we did get to our bacon fact. Make sure you guys send those in to us as well. Like, subscribe, uh, and and leave us a review. Let us know what you like as we continue to work our way towards getting more answers. We will give you everything that we get when we hear from Ward Manuel, um, uh, President Mark Schlissel. We will continue to give all the information that we possibly can so you know what's coming in the coming year. But we'll tell you what's coming next on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.